Gospel of John, fourth chapter, there's a story, an interaction of Jesus Christ with a woman who comes to draw water in the middle of the day. Her life is not what she had wanted. Her life is not what she had hoped. She is pursuing everything that she feels she needs from an emptiness in her life. You get to verse uh, 25 and it says, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he comes, he'll tell us all things. When he comes, he'll, he'll fill this hole in my life that I'm trying to fulfill through chasing after a relationship with a man. When he comes, he'll teach me what it means to, to serve him and what real worship really is, not in a place, but in my my life she's looking and then Jesus says this I who speak to you am he the very thing she'd been looking for the very thing she'd been hoping for the very thing that you and I walk every single day in pursuit of is standing right in front of us and he wants to be a part of our life he wants to be that which is stronger he wants to be that which walks with us in the garden times of life he is Christ he is Lord he is Messiah and it's our prayer today that you know him that you pursue him and that you understand he died for you. That's his promise. And it's a promise of hope. But most importantly, it's a promise of presence right where we are. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your truth. God, I thank you that that you do walk with us in those, those times in life where, where it just seems like we don't know what the next step is. I thank you that there is no God like you. You are the one, uh, Father, who, who sent your only begotten Son to the cross for us. There is no other name given. No other way that we approach you except through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for grace. And I thank you that you've called us to lift your name higher. So Lord, I ask you this next few moments just to take us where we are and help us to see the reality, the truth, that the thing we are looking for, no matter what it is, finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ alone. God bless these next few moments as we worship you through the study of your word. May it exalt Christ and Christ alone. We pray that this morning in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, please open with me to the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter. We've been 
looking the last few weeks at the promises of God. We've talked about the promise of His power. We've talked about the promise that He says we will go and bear fruit and what that looks like in your life and my life. And, and then this morning we're going to look at and work through the promise of His presence and, and what it means for you and I to understand and, and, and to walk literally in Christ every single moment of the day. I, I hope that you are enjoying the journey. And I hope that we understand together that that's exactly what the life of faith is. It is a journey. It is, it is a, a, a progress through and, and, and in faith and in life. A lot of times that is, we, we, we want to think about, I want to get there, but, but it's not a sprint, okay? It is this day-to-day walking and day-to-day seeking, day-to-day chasing after who Christ is in every single moment of our life and that's the goal is to be able to walk in the moment by moments part of our faith and uh, as you think about that, that first week when we looked at the the power that Christ puts on us and then the last two weeks if we looked at the promise of his fruit what we understand is it's not God working in spite of us or God working instead of us but it's truly Christ in us through the person of the Holy Spirit working and, and doing and living through us in, in such a way that God alone gets the glory. That's how I know that I am operating in and under the leadership and the authority of the Holy Spirit. In, in my life, your life, our lives as believers, when I'm walking in the presence of Christ, when I'm truly seeking His leadership and, 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 and responding to what the Word of God says to me, I don't care who gets the credit. I don't get caught up in those things because it, it truly does begin to be and, and comes about being all about who he is. If it's about him, then I don't care who gets the accolades. And when I don't care who gets the accolades, I, I begin to realize something that the Word of God teaches each of us, but in particular teaches those of us who want to be leaders and teachers. And that is that I will give an account for every single syllable that comes out of my mouth. This past week, one of our friends, one of my friends, that uh, the guy who's the reason I am in the faith, when I went to Austin College, I went as a, as a young boy who had grown up in the church his whole life. I've told you before, I was on the cradle roll in the church before I was born. Uh, as soon as I could go to church, I did, and I was there uh, every, I, you know, it's, it's the old joke, I had a drug problem, because I was drugged to church every time the doors were open, okay? Uh, I mean, it's just, it's just where we were. It's just what we did. And, and, and I believed that being in church, because I had a lot of knowledge, and I had walked the aisle, and I would gotten baptized, and all those things. But I went to Austin College lost. Churched, but lost. And when I got there, I got around a couple of gentlemen in particular who were a few years older than I was, who, who truly lived their faith. And, and one of those guys was a gentleman named Randy Sims. Randy is now the executive pastor at, uh, at uh, Midland Bible Church in, in Midland, Texas. And Randy and I reconnected. He came up this past week and doing some stuff with, with our elders. And, 
and uh, we were talking and sharing, and Randy challenged us with a verse in, in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 17. And, and if you read that, the first part of the verse talks about obeying your leaders and those who, who teach you. And that's not the part I want to focus on because what's been going on in my mind this week is the second part of that verse. And is that we instruct you as one who will give an account. I don't want to say or do or, or imply or do anything that would in some way, somehow, some shape mean that somebody misses heaven. That's why I try to work so hard and so diligently to teach what the Word really says and what the Word really means. I don't want to mess up. And that's why, as, as hard as it is for me, I also don't try, here, try, not to go off half-cocked. Okay, not just to, you know, sometimes, uh, some coach will tell me occasionally, he said, you went to preaching today. I have to be careful, because sometimes when I go to preaching, I get away from, and just don't do that, in other words, Okay. And, and, and so I want to make sure that you and I walk this thing moment by moment and step by step knowing the absolute truth of who we are. And, and for you and I, for me, for us, for the church, for, for us as individual believers, for us to, to make sure we know what we're doing, we have to understand scripturally what Jesus said about the role of the Holy Spirit. What's the role of the Holy Spirit? What, what does He do and, and what does that look like and what does His promised presence look like in our lives? Now, the thing that, that it teaches us is that there are some absolutes that we need to know. And the thing that I want you to get is this, because we've had some people lately who've had prominent positions and and given, been given some stages in, in not in Christian life, but in, in political, pu public life, who are, are trying to say, well, the Bible doesn't say this. Hear me, truth doesn't change. Truth doesn't evolve. Truth is truth. And what the Word of God says is what you and I ought to be doing is to adjust our life to truth, His truth. And so this morning as we work through what Christ taught, he was speaking to the disciples at a very, very crucial time in their life. They were fixing to go through it. And there's some things that the Bible teaches us about how you and I understand the role of the Holy Spirit and how we operate under the direction of the Holy Spirit in the things that we do moment by moment, step by step, faith by faith. So this morning we're going to look at the promise of His presence. If you have your Bibles, open there to the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter. If you would, please stand with me this morning as we honor God's Word as we read it together. We're going to start in verse 15 and read through verse 18. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You may be seated. May God bless his word this morning as we study together. So what, what is going on? Jesus is about to go to the cross. He has walked with these men. He has taught them. He has opened their eyes. The Spirit has used Christ in their life in those moments in that physical presence to teach them truth. In fact, if you think about it, Peter makes the, 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 the proclamation when Jesus says, Who do you say I am? Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Blessed are you, Peter. Blessed are you. Because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, you didn't get this except by the fact that the Holy Spirit of God taught you those things. Blessed are you, Simon. Blessed are you because of that truth. And so Jesus has physically been with them, and because he's been with them, they've been taught and, and, and seen things and known things that, that other people didn't get a chance at that point to know yet. And then he says, I'm going away. And, and they're going to crucify me. And the disciples, if you remember, go through the gospel accounts. They fight that. I mean, there, there's one time where, where Peter just said, you're the Christ. And then he says, I'm going to die and be crucified. And he says, I'll never let it happen. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Okay? So that's the, 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 the struggle that's going on in the life of these men. And then Jesus says, I'm going away. But then he begins to teach them what's going to happen for their life. And the first thing that he says is, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you another. And in verse 16, he talks about the role. And the first thing that the, the Word of God teaches us about the presence of Christ in our life through the Holy Spirit is that he is the promise of a helper. If you look at verse 16, Jesus says, If I go away, I will ask the Father, and he will send to you another helper to be with you forever. Our English word for comfort, okay? Uh, some translations say, I will send you a comforter or I will send you the advocate. Our English word for comfort comes from two compound Latin words meaning with strength. A lot of times when we hear comfort, we think about um, consoling, okay? We think about uh, a little kid that falls and scratches his knee or, or you, you get a bump on your head and mom or dad will you know, kind of pick, oh, that's okay, it's all right, it's going to be okay. We think of comfort that way. But the role of the Holy Spirit is not just to comfort us or to console us. The role of the Holy Spirit is to comfort us in strength. He is called the advocate. He is our uh, arguer of our court case. He is our defender. He comes to us in strength. It's not some weak or, 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 or passive interaction with the Holy Spirit in our life. The Holy Spirit comes to guide us and to direct us from the point of the promise of power that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. It is what the writer of Hebrews knew when he writes in what we know as chapter 12, verse 1, and he says there, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
Let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles us and run with perseverance, run with endurance, the race that's been marked out for you. That's the, the, the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's not this patting us on the head and saying, hey, it's going to be okay. That's all right. Dry up your tears. It is, no, you can do this. Get up. Walk in my strength. Walk in my power. Run the race of endurance. Persevere in who I've called you to be. That's exactly what the promise of the Spirit was at this point in the lives of the disciples. And that's what... Christ wants you and I to understand. Those things that we struggle with, he's saying, look, you can do this. And you're not going to do this in your own strength. You're going to do this when you submit to, to my authority in your life. We talked about that. It's not try harder. Okay, we looked at that a few weeks ago. It's not try harder. It's not press up more Bible verses or, or do you know, practice Bible drill. How fast can you get there? It's not all of that. It's not try harder. It's submit more. And when I submit to him, he indwells in, in, in me as a promise and empowers me as his promise to do the things that he has called me, you, us, we, to do as we pursue him. Paul knew that strength. If you go look at the life of Paul, there are several different times. The first is after he's been in Corinth, and you read about that in the book of Acts in the 18th chapter and, and he'd been at Corinth, and Crispus, the synagogue ruler, comes and begins to oppose him, and it, it causes him problems, and Paul gets discouraged. And he says there in the 18th chapter, the Holy Spirit came to me, Christ came to me and encouraged me. When he's preaching in Jerusalem, he gets arrested, and he gets discouraged. And it says, the Bible says in, in Acts 23, uh, about verse 11 in there somewhere, it says that, the Holy Spirit encouraged me. He came and spoke to me, lifted me up, encouraged me. Perseverance, you can do this. He's been arrested, sent on, put on trial. He's headed to Rome to testify before Caesar of who Jesus is. And he's in a boat and he's going. You know the story. And the, the storm comes up and the boat starts getting beat up. And, you know, he's going to get shipwrecked. And he's going to be on the, the beach. And he's going to be trying to build a fire. And the snake's going to bite him on the arm. All those things. He gets discouraged. Doesn't it make you feel comforted that the men of God and the women of God and the people of God that we read about who God did just things that made it into the book, that they get discouraged too? Hey, in those moments, the Holy Spirit speaks. And in Acts 27, 27, Paul is encouraged. Paul knew that in 2 Timothy. He's writing his letter to, to Timothy, his son in the ministry. And, and he's encouraging him to get there. And he's encouraging him to come. And, and he's getting ready to face another trial. He says, I'm, I, you know, it, when, my, when my next trial arose, everybody deserted me. Everybody left. Luke's the only one that's with me. So come. I, I need you. I need your presence. I need you to physically be here, not abandon me. And he goes through a list. And he mentions a guy named Damas. And he says, Damas, who, who loved the world, abandoned me. We read about Damas three times in the New Testament. In Philemon, the 24th 
24, what we know is verse 24. In Philemon, Damas is called a co-laborer with Paul. I mean, he's a guy who's working. Co-laborer. That's how Paul calls him. You're my, he's my co-laborer. In Colossians, he's just listed. He's going through a list of people, and he says, and Damas. And then 2 Timothy, Damas, who loves the world, has abandoned me. So, so Paul knows the, 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 the struggles that come with life. And, and all through those things, Paul knows one truth for sure, and that is that every time he was struggling, every time he was discouraged, the Holy Spirit came and encouraged him. And so you and I need to understand that the presence of Christ is to be with us. It is the truth of what the writer of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 13, 5, quoting what God said to Joshua in the book of Joshua. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I don't care what we're going through. The truth is the Holy Spirit will be with us as we walk through those moments. So there's two things that you and I need to know about the presence of the Holy Spirit. First of all, I need to know who it is that I'm drawing my strength from. Don't try to draw your strength from yourself. Promise Holy Spirit, draw your strength from the Holy Spirit. And number two, when you and I are drawing our strength from the Holy Spirit, make sure when you and I are used of God to speak into the lives of others, that what we're speaking is the truth of the Holy Spirit, not our own strength. Because if you and I start operating in our own strength, just like Damas, we'll love the world more than we do Christ, and we'll walk away in the moment of truth. So the moral of the story is don't be a Damas. <laughs> the second thing, is the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. Now, the reason I did that is I'm going to tell you here in just a minute, okay? See, I thought I was so clever this week when I read that, and I, it just came to me, don't be a Damas. And I thought, that's a play on words. They'll get it. It's unique. I was so proud of myself, okay? I really was. I was so proud of myself, I was telling the staff. I was like, hey, this is pretty cool, isn't it? And Melissa goes, before I ever got to the punchline. You know, there's, a, there's a, a Christian rock group called Old Dead Guys. They have shirts that say, don't be a Damas. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the second thing that the Holy Spirit does is he guides us into all truth. He is called in John 16, 13, the spirit of truth. And, and what you and I need to realize is he guides us into all truth, not new truth. See, Solomon writes in, in, in the, the, the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes there and he says, it's all been said, it's all been done, there's nothing new under the sun. That's the Brewer paraphrase, okay? There isn't any new truth. There is only God's truth, period. And so when we have a lot of people today who are saying, man, here, here's a new truth, here's a new nugget, this has never been seen before, this has never been said before, that's a lie. God has revealed in His Word the complete truth that you and I need to know to be able to understand a relationship to Christ and walk with Him in that relationship to the glory of God. He is called the spirit of truth. 
And, and so as, as Paul, I mean, as John writes here the words of Christ in verse 17, this is what he says. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So the Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity. He's not a essence. He is not a, 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 a wind. He is a person. He is the third person of the Trinity. Jesus said, I will give you another spirit. And that word means of the same essence. He is exactly and fully God in every single way. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that person of the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired the writing of what we know as the Bible. He inspired men throughout the, the, the history of the recording of Scripture to write those things down. It is the Holy Spirit that gives illumination or light for you and I to be able to interpret the Word of God in, in accordance to what God wrote. The Holy Spirit does that. And the Holy Spirit-inspired Word is the one who helps me, helps you understand and apply and obey the Word in everything that we do. I can't hear God's word and put it into practice without being under the authority of the Holy Spirit in my practice. He wrote it. He inspired it. He illuminates it. He teaches it. He guides it. And he leads us, empowers us to apply it and obey it in our life. It's all about him. And because that's who he is, another spirit of the exact same essence, the Holy Spirit will never, underline that, never lead you, lead me, lead us to do something that is contrary to the teaching of the Bible, period. And he will never lead us to do something that is contrary to the nature of the person and characteristics of the person of Jesus Christ. So if you, are, or if you feel like you're led to do something that is outside of what the Word says, you need to check your spirit. Because the Bible will never lead us to contradict who Christ is and what God has revealed in his word. It doesn't matter that we're living 2,000 years after the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that, that there are things. We think that there are things today that we are dealing with that they didn't have to deal with in, in, in the Bible. That's not true. Word of God says, no temptation has overtaken you or come upon you except that which is common to men. If you're going through it, somebody else has already gone through it. And the Word of God has a principle to address it in every single way. And what the verse says here is that we, this Holy Spirit dwells within us, and the Holy Spirit is in us. There is a fixed position of the Holy Spirit in your life. It doesn't ebb and flow. It's not true in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Word of God tells us that, 
that uh, the Holy Spirit left Saul. When David sinned with Bathsheba and he wrote what we know as Psalm 51, this prayer of, of repentance, one of the things that David says is, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Sometimes there were prophets who were inspired to write of God at moments, and then we don't hear anything else from them in life. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and go, but at the moment of Pentecost and the moment of your salvation, the moment you and I came to faith in Jesus Christ, we were indwelt permanently with the presence of the person of the Holy Spirit. And, and so... I operate and can know, you can know. That's where, as Baptists, we get that understanding of the priesthood of the believer. That if you and I will employ sound biblical interpretation, being consistent with what the Word says from Genesis to Revelation, because it is a continuous story of who God is, you can interpret the Scripture as well as I can. If we walk under the authority, and, and, and being a pastor doesn't mean you won't mess up, okay? There are pastors today who don't walk and don't teach, and, and, and they're, they're, you know, they're, I promise you, there have been some times in my life where I taught things because I taught at the spur of a moment, not in study, and I had to go back and say, hey, that, that wasn't right. Because the Spirit will be consistent in every single thing that He does. My job, your job, our job is to know who he is and to know what he does. Ninety-three times in this book. Now, if you just look at the word spirit, that's more. It's like 600 times. But if you look up the word Holy Spirit, 93 times in this book is the word Holy Spirit or the phrase Holy Spirit used. Ninety of those occur in the New Testament. And, and there's some things that the Word of God teaches us about what the Holy Spirit does. First of all, He directs us, Acts 16.6. He constrains us, Acts 20.22. 20, he teaches us, 1 Corinthians 2.13. He equips us, 1 Corinthians 12.7. The Holy Spirit can be resisted, Acts 7.51. The Holy Spirit can be grieved, Ephesians 4.30. And the Holy Spirit can be quenched. 1 Thessalonians 5.19. That's just a few. He's a person. He interacts. He teaches. And he guides us into truth. And the last part, what, Paul, what Jesus says and writes in verse 18, or what John records in verse 18, is that he is also our hope of his presence. Look at verse 18. Jesus speaking says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus is going away. For three years, the disciples have had an opportunity to walk with Christ, to learn from Him, to hear Him. And He says, I'm going away. But when I go away, He makes a twofold promise. First of all, when I go, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. In this day and time, Jesus' day and time, orphans, were, were, they struggled. Okay, is more so than they do in our society today. A lot of cultures today where if a child is an orphan, they struggle. They still struggle in our culture, but not as much as they did in Jesus' day. But he says, I'm not leaving you as an orphan because I'm going to give you the, the adoption as a child of God. You're going to have a father, a heavenly father, and that heavenly father is eternal. 
so I'm not going to leave you alone. And then he says, I'm coming to you. I will come again. And that, that promise of coming again has three components. First of all, it was going to be quickly. Three days. I'm leaving you alone, but you're only going to be alone for three days, so quit whining. Okay? And he came back. He rose from the, from the grave three days later. Then he says, I'm not going to leave you alone, and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit who will be with you daily, moment by moment. Okay? And then he says, and I will come again. And when he comes again, he's coming quick. Okay? It's not going to be a political campaign. Okay? You are not going to have to endure six or seven months of ads about Jesus' return. Okay? It's not going to happen. You're going to look up, and it's going to be here. He's going to split the eastern sky. Boom. That's what the Word says. He's here. And so Jesus was trying to comfort them and saying, look, I'm going away, but my going away isn't going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you airship adopted as a son. You're going to have an eternal father who will be there forever. And I'm going to come quickly. I'm going to come daily. And I'm going to come back. And I'm going to take you to be with me. Period. I want you to do something. What to you? What is the promise of Christ's daily presence mean to you? What's it mean that, that Christ promises to be with us daily, to give us the Holy Spirit, to walk with us daily? What does that mean to you? What does it mean? That Christ promises through the teaching of the Holy Spirit that He's coming again soon. That the imminent return of Jesus Christ is on the horizon. One of my dear friends, mentors in the faith, uh, Dr. Robert Jeffress, is preaching this morning at First Baptist Dallas a message entitled, Is the Coronavirus a Judgment from God? Total side note, have you noticed when they told you not to touch your face that everything about your face begins to itch? Have you just, I just, that's just a, just a total side note. I mean, my nose is itch more. You know, don't touch your face. How do you do that when you wear contacts? Okay, I'm just, I mean, it's just, anyway, that, that has nothing to do with the sermon. Okay, nothing, absolutely. It's just one of those thoughts that jumped into my head. What's it mean that Christ is with you daily? What's it mean that he's coming again soon? That's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you 90 seconds. I want to, you to turn next to somebody that you're sitting beside, and I want you to explain to you what's it mean that he's with me daily. And what's it mean that he's coming soon? I'm going to give you 90 seconds. Everybody has to participate. <laughs> Go.
Got about 45 seconds. Yeah. Now think about how hard it is to stand up here and talk for 30 minutes. You just wish I would talk for 30 minutes. Okay. Could you explain it? Could you really say this is what it means that the Holy Spirit is with me every day? Could you really explain what it means that he says I'm coming quickly? Or did you fake your way through the conversation? For January the 14th, 1984, if somebody had asked me, what's it mean that the Holy Spirit is with you? I could have faked my way through that conversation. What's it mean? That Jesus is coming again. I could have faked my way through that conversation. January the 14th, 1984. The person of the Holy Spirit showed up in my life. To teach me all truth. To encourage me and strengthen me that you can do this. And to remind me every single moment of every single day, behold, behold, I come quickly. Pastor, it's been 2,000 years. What do you mean he comes quickly? There's a reason that there's a verse in the Bible that says, with the Lord, a day is like a 1,000 years. It's only been two days in God's mind. Behold, I come quickly. So what's it mean for us? What's it mean for me? Am I walking every day, every moment of every day, Surrendered to the authority of the person of the Holy Spirit, or am I walking in the world? I wish. I wish I could stand here and tell you that I have a day, that I have an hour where I walk totally in the Spirit without messing up. But I can't. But when I don't, the beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit is He convicts me. He says, hey, let's not go there. And if you think that I'm alone... 
That's why God inspired John to write, if we say we have no sin, we lie. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, He, Christ, God, the Spirit, is faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Can you and I go a day and not sin if they put us in a comatose state? Maybe. And that's just honest. How do I know that? Because the scripture says, if we say we have no sin, we lie. So am I walking in the spirit? Or am I walking in the world? And the way that I walk in the Spirit is that I make sure I'm giving the Spirit enough opportunity through the Word of God, His truth, to speak so that He has a chance to direct my steps. If you're here this morning and there is a time in your life where to the best of your ability you trusted Christ by His grace alone and you put your faith in that, the Word of God says the Holy Spirit indwelt you and dwells with you. And so I have to ask myself the question, when I don't walk the way I should, when I don't speak the way I should, when I don't think the way I should, it's because I'm not giving the Holy Spirit a chance to direct my steps. And so as a believer, it then becomes my question to ask, what area of my life, right now in this moment, what area of my life do I need to submit, surrender, not try harder, submit more? So that the Holy Spirit can guide my steps according to the revealed truth of the inspired word, the Bible. Do you know that you have a relationship with Christ? If you don't, I would challenge you before you leave here today, know that truth. Are you walking? As much as you can, surrender to the Holy Spirit. If not, maybe that's an area we need to respond. And say, Lord, I want to know what your word says about this in my life. And know if you're like the woman at the well. The answer you're looking for is standing right in front of you. And his name is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the dates you've given us. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the consistency of your word. And Lord, that, that I have to be careful, we have to be careful, each of us as individuals has to be careful that, that we walk according to the whole truth. Father, forgive me when I don't. 
Lord, I, I pray that I be so in tune with the person of the Holy Spirit in me that I don't grieve Him. I pray when your spirit begins to use a passage in my life that says, hey, Sean, you need, you need to walk here that I don't resist him. Father, take your word and, and, and begin to teach us and let us give permission to the person of the Holy Spirit to, to do what your word says, which is to convict in regards to sin. To convict in regards to righteousness that, that I can't get there in my own strength. To convict in regards to judgment that, that the way of this world will never satisfy. Holy Spirit. You have permission to move in my life. Whatever that means. Father, I pray for those that are here this morning that may not know for certain, for sure, that if they died, they would take their next breath in eternal life with you. I pray for those of us as believers that, Lord, we, we need to know what we believe and how that belief impacts our daily steps. Lord, I pray for those that, that you want to add to a fellowship. We, we have these things called churches to be a representative part of the body of Christ, a place where, where broken and hurting people can come. And Father, through you and you alone, find our healing, strength to take the next step. Lord, we ask you in just a few short moments to begin to speak into our hearts how we should respond to you. Father, may that honor you in all that we do. In Christ's name.